Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to another brand new edition of the official Redbird Rants podcast. I'm your host, Tito Rivera, and we are sorry for the technical difficulties tonight. We've been trying to get them going, but we will do our best for you guys to put on a good show. And I'm joined tonight by my co-editor, Dr. Michael Miles. Dr. Miles, how are you? I'm good. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Great. Awesome. And we are also joined by our, one of our contributors, um, Larry Levin. Larry, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, Tito. Thanks so much. And we are also joined by former contributor and co-editor of Reviewing the Brew, the Fan Side of Brewers website, Mr. Trevor Hood. Trevor, how are you tonight? Um. Doing great. I'm happy that music's over. <laughs> yes. Uh, for all of you who were uh, patiently holding on and waiting to hear us, we do apologize once again. We are getting set to get our show started as Albert Pujols is actually coming up to the dish to go for hit 2,999 and hopefully 3,000 later tonight. And we will have live updates of that as they happen for as long as we are on the show tonight. But, guys, uh, let's go ahead and get into St. Louis Cardinals baseball. We had a lot going on over the last time we were on for an official Redbird Rants podcast episode. But let's start with how the Cardinals looked in the first month of, I guess you could say, month and a half with March and April. Larry, what were your takeaways from what you learned about the Cardinals in March and April? <laughs> uh, I think it's, it's uh, you know, it, it, it feels better for me now to kind of pull up above the ground to a mile above and ignore all the neuroses that I've been subjecting myself to on a daily basis, right? Because, because you know, when you're on Twitter and you communicate with other card fans, you hear the angst and the anxiety and the frustration and the arguments against why they're very good and then you pull back and you look up and you see they're on a pace to win 93 or 95 ball games. So, you know, as as much as I think they, there is to, to fix and to find answers for, I think the, the overall, um, you know, review of the team is they've come out pretty well and it's hard to argue with um, with the results, we we were talking two or three weeks ago about how great a start the Mets had and how what was us we'd never be able to beat a winning team. And look at their records today: the Mets and the Cardinals have exactly the same records. So, so I, I'm I'm content with where we are. I think there are growth opportunities, and we move on from here. Speaking of contentment, Albert Pujols did get his 
2,999th hit. So he is one away from the magical number of 3,000, which for all you baseball fans, he will share with one other Latino baseball player, and that is none other than the great Roberto Clemente. Uh, and I know that would be very special for Apple Pujols. Trevor, since you are now part of the Reviewing the Brew crew, what did you learn about the Cardinals in the first month and a half? Well, uh, you know, I'm not watching as many games as, as obviously you guys are because I'm I'm trying to find the Brewer games to watch. But uh, when you look at the stats for the teams as a whole, what sticks out to me is that um, they their batting average compared to other teams in the league or compared to any baseball stat really is not great. They're, they rank in at 24th, hitting 235 as a team. But their strikeouts are also low for the league. They rank in at 21st. So it seems like they're, it's, it's not like they're being overpowered, that offense is being overpowered or anything. So it looks like they're playing pretty well, just running into some, some weird luck as far as the stats go. Yeah, and I think those out there might argue, though, that the Cardinals seem to struggle against, you know, the top-tier pitching and that has shown up quite a bit. What's your thoughts on that? Do you think the Cardinals um, are really finding it trouble to hit tough pitching or the top pitchings from all the teams? Well, I'm sure they are, but that's because it's the top pitching. The entire league (laughs) is going to struggle with that at some point. Uh, You don't get to be one of the top pitchers in the league by getting shelled by teams. So, I don't know. That's a tough. I mean, it's just a tough question because they're good pitchers because they're good pitchers, not because teams are hitting them. Right, and and I guess my point is is to win games or you know to win playoff series, you have to hit the tough pitching, and if they can't show it now, what makes you think they're going to do it later on? Well, that's a very good point, and like I said, I have not uh, gotten the chance to watch as many games as I would like. So I'm going based purely off of the numbers that are right in front of me right now. And, and it just, these, a bunch of the strikeouts may be coming from the tough pitching, but if they can just get the bat on the ball, the ball bounces a different way. It doesn't take a whole lot. Another thing that, that uh, they're doing really well right now is walks. They're in the top 10 in the league in walks as a team. So they're, they're being patient. And obviously you get a runner on base with a walk and anything can happen. So, it's I don't, it's just an interesting game by the stats, at least from sure. what I can see. Oh, yeah, four their starters who just haven't had any traction at all at bat, right? I mean, I mean Sam and DeYoung and Martinez and Molina have been pretty solid, um, you know. But it's those those four laggards, Carpenter, Fowler, Ozuna, and Wong, and then the manager's refusal to play Jed Jerko, who's in a small sample size, has been hotter than probably anybody on the team. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point, Larry. Uh, they they definitely have some some issues in their lineup that's more than likely contributing to their losses more so than anything else. And, you know, I think if the offense was clicking and, and on point and, you know, bar some uh, – hiccups with the bullpen as well, you know, this team could easily be, you know, in the same ballpark as the Arizona Diamondbacks and, and definitely a 20-win team right now. 
Uh, Dr. Miles, let's get your opinion on this. What did you learn from March and April when it comes to the St. Louis Cardinals? Yeah, I learned that Mike Matheny still can't handle it. I learned that, uh, as you guys said, we have some great players, and what we've watched is that from time to time they, they click and they have things thrown, and at other times they're, they're missing. Uh, I'd like to add on to what Larry said about Jericho, and I actually wrote a piece about Jericho outperforming Matt Carpenter. And honestly, yeah, Jericho should play every day. And honestly, Colton Long, who showed some great hustle and some great plays, should play every day. And of late, in the last couple of games, Dexter Fowler starting to show that hustle. And that should earn him the playing time. I also learned that what we thought we had in the bullpen was not what we ended up having in the first month and a half in the bullpen. I believe that the pickup of Bud Norris was for protection and what a wise pickup it was, and he's now actually serving more than just protection. Um, I think that the pickup of Greg Holland will play out and will play out in our favor and in Greg Holland's favor after the season. But the patience to get there may be running thin. And I think you could hear that in some of Mosaic's comments recently when he was asked about Holland, just basically saying that the thought of putting Holland in a pressure situation is something they're absolutely going to avoid. So as you guys said, it's like uh, the the team is pleasantly surprising. Yeah, and and I'll I'll throw my thoughts here on this as well. You know, I, I think what we've learned from the Cardinals so far is they are a good team when they are all clicking together. They are easily one of the better teams in the National League, and and they can compete with those other teams. And granted, they've only played probably, you know, four good teams in the Brewers, Mets, Diamondbacks, and Cubs. But in all those games, they were very competitive. And, you know, again, barring some bullpen, you know, hiccups, some unfortunate batting, they could easily, easily be have more wins than what they're what they have right now. And even then, seventeen and twelve after a month and a half and, and one day of May, that's pretty good. And that's way better than what you probably would have expected um at the start of the season given, you know, your questions about Miles Michaelis, your questions about Adam Wainwright, your questions about the lineup, will it produce? Will Carpenter hit in the three-hole consistently? Would Marcelo Zuna be the same person? And the answer to pretty much all of that is it's kind of still up in the air. Uh, Trevor, do you kind of get that sense too? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, Zuna so far has been the, the biggest thing. Because you're paying, you know, sure. you trade away the prospects for him, and you're expecting him to have a good year. And and right now he's hitting 243. So um, I think he's gotten off to a slow start for whatever reason. Maybe it's the cold because he's used to playing in Miami. But um, I think he might be the key. And once he starts to click, which I think the past couple games he he has, from what I've seen, at least a little bit. Um, I I think the offense might come together. And and so I think I think what you said is right. 
Yeah, and I and at the same time, you know, again, as I said, they ha- they've also you know played some really really bad teams. I mean, you're playing the White Sox the last two games. You played the Reds for seven already, and you beat them all seven times. Um, there's something to be said though about beating the teams that you need to beat, right, Larry? Yeah, I mean, that's why this weekend will really be an interesting test. You know, we have some nice, we have some interesting pitching matchups this weekend. Um, We, you know, we see what Michaelis looks like in the pressure of the Cubs Cardinals uh, context. Um, You know, we, we get to see if, you know, the, the team can round into shape a little bit better offensively. Uh, We get to see if the manager can bring some added value with lineup construction and moves during the game against a team where it it matters a great deal. So I I think there's a lot to be seen this weekend. We get to to see uh, Luke Weaver and, you know, which way he's headed. Um, And maybe we could talk a little bit more about that later on because there's some stuff about Luke that's been – uh, disappointing, but there's a little deceiving when you look at some of the the underlying statistics. So, so I think you're right, you know, and I think you know this will be the kind of the money weekend when we go against the Cubs, and especially with a nationally televised game on Sunday night. Sure, and and, and to put this these this first two, you know, I, I shouldn't say two months because it barely was even a month in March, um, but but between March and April, they're already at. 17 wins. Dr. Miles, they didn't get their 17th win of the season in 2017 until Monday, May 8th. What do you make of the Cardinals, you know, beating the teams that they need to beat? Is, you know, are we on to something or, you know, is that just, hey, they're taking care of business? Uh, You know, you and I talked about this in a podcast recently. It was just you and I both, and we were talking about the Cardinals and, um, you know, when they found themselves so far above 500 last season. Uh, and we're certainly talking about a, a, a somewhat different team here. And also, let me just take a little sidetrack here to say, in that very same podcast, we had technical difficulties of the same nature. <laughs> so I feel like we may be in, in Groundhog's Day, but nevertheless. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll tell you what, you know, you, you hear the old – uh, cliche, the old hackney phrase that uh, seasons aren't won or lost in April, but we all know that the wins count. Uh, you know, they may not have as much of a pendulum swing to them as they would later in the season, but they still count nevertheless. I think if you were to go back, if you had the ability to and interview players at this time during the 2017 season, you would have a remarkably different set of answers to your question, you know, in terms of how they feel, what they think is coming next, and how they would approach certain opponents. I think what you're starting to see in at least the last couple of days, I would say for sure on Friday when they came back and, and won the game, that we're starting to see a team who, number one, believes in themselves. And I don't know that the team in 2017 believed in themselves at this point in the very lengthy season. 
And I'm going to tell you what, as you have said, if this team starts all believing in themselves and clicking, look out. I mean, look out. Yeah, and and I think something that, you know, we will probably get into a little bit of discussion later on is is just uh, personally the rotation, the starting rotation for the St. Louis Cardinals has been the most – surprising yet not surprising thing for me. I thought the rotation was going going to be pretty good, as I've said in our own chat group. You know, when I have brought up who the best rotations in baseball are and nobody wants to agree with me, um, I think they're doing really well, and, and I you know, they're even showing that. Um, so, Larry, let me ask you this because I know you kind of, you and I have disagreed on the rotation somewhat. Are you are you more convinced that the rotation is better than you actually think it is, or is it still too early? I, I am I'm bullish. Uh, I am. I mean, I think that Michaelis has proved he he belongs. I mean, I think one one of the things I said early on um, before the season began was. One thing the Cardinals had over many other teams was the depth with respect to their starters. So even if an Adam Wainwright couldn't perform or uh, somebody went down for injury, the Cardinals were really deep. You know, in addition to the folks that were dubbed the top five, you know, they also had Flaherty waiting in the wings. They had John Gant waiting in the wings. Uh, we've seen the amazing work that Austin Gomber has done in Memphis. Um, you know, we have Dakota Hudson in the wing. So, so it's, it's, there's an awful lot of, um, of a starting pitcher depth for the St. Louis Cardinals. I think the question was, you know, was the top of the rotation going to perform? And we were teased in a negative way with Carlos on his opening day start. But since then, he's turned, he's turned in the very best, you know, April of, of, of basically any Cardinal starter ever. It's been unbelievable. And, uh, you know, Walk has proved that he's a, uh, a good mid-rotation guy. And, um, you know, Weaver, even though he struggled, still has a very – he has some very deceivingly good stats. He has a fielding independent pitching um, stat of 3.51, which is actually better than Michael Walker's and not that far off of Carlos Martinez's. So so I think the rotation is strong whether or not Wainwright comes back. So at this point, I have to agree with you, Tito. Yeah, and, and, and Trevor, I, you know, I, I know you, like you said earlier, you haven't been paying attention to much of the games. Um, but being with how, you know, being a writer for the Brewers website, you know, one of the things of the off season for the Brewers was they need to get starting pitching. Seeing the success of the St. Louis Cardinals rotation, you know, what what do you make of how much that rotation, you know, is helping the Cardinals at this point when it comes to uh, stacking up against the Brewers? Well, um when starting the year based purely on name power, I don't think anybody would even try to argue that the Brewers and, and Cardinals were on the same level as far as their starting rotation. Um, I think probably, I mean, in a less serious manner, one of the more uh, surprising stats for me is, is the uh, powered batting from the uh, 
starter. They have two home runs already from their starting pitching. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's helpful. But um, I think that the depth of the, of the Cardinals starting pitching, like Larry was talking about, is just uh, unreal. I mean, you, we all know how big of a fan of Dakota Hudson I am. Uh, Carlos Martinez has, we all knew, had the potential to be, I, at least I thought, had the potential to be doing this. And obviously it'll fall off a little bit. But um, right now the Brewers – starting rotation to, to bring in just a, a division rival. They're playing above their head too, and they're getting some surprise performances uh, from some guys that was that you wouldn't expect it from. So anything can really happen when it comes to the starting pitching. Um, I know that Wayne writes out, but he was not pitching as bad as I assumed he would prior to that. Um, and of course I love the young guys like Flaherty and Weaver. So I don't know. I think that the starting rotation is doing exactly what I thought it would, and that is reaching into the depth to, to look for some performances and getting good performances out of some of the starters that you needed them from. Yeah, and absolutely, and I think, you know, I recently put out an article detailing, you know, Carlos Martinez's hot start to to the season, and I named him my pitcher of the month. Um, Dr. Miles, let's, let's stay with the rotation here. Outside of Carlos Martinez, Who's been the most surprising starter for the St. Louis Cardinals through through the first month and and a couple of days? You know what? I've got to go with Miles Michaelis. Um, We thought he was going to be a number five starter, if that. You know, there were so many people who who didn't trust the signing of of Michaelis. But we have to remember that he chose the Cardinals over the Cubs because it was the two of us going head-to-head to try to grab him because there was something that both teams saw. And I think what we're seeing from him now is that something that attracted us to him. Uh, and, and rightfully so. I, you know what? I would put a very close second in that race to Michael Walker, who we, we saw flashes of his brilliance early in his career, but of late in his career, we, we started to question should Michael Walker stay on his team? Should the Cardinals trade him while they were still in value, et cetera? But both of those pitchers have been a huge surprise and a very pleasant surprise. The Cardinals as an organization, I think, would tell you that Adam Wainwright is a negative surprise in the fact that he showed up, actually was able to pitch fairly well, as Trevor very adroitly pointed out. Uh, and a lot of Wainwright's success on the mound came from his contrast of his style to the other guys in the rotation. Because you had some pretty strong pitchers in the way of Martinez with his speed and his material and such as that. And then you can rotate in an Adam Wainwright who is at the tail end of his career, still pitching very well, but doing so with slower speed, doing so in the cold air. And you and I talked about this as well, Tito, about how the cold really helped Wainwright because he was snapping off those curveballs that the Chicago cold was not affecting, whereas somebody trying to throw heavy speed uh, was having some trouble with. Uh, so my answer to you is my old Mike Olis, and I think I hope we do not see a regression um, and that's that's what I'm going to be cheering for. No regression from Michael. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And, and guys, I'm going to throw this stat out here because I think it is kind of uh, eye-opening. Uh, for as hot as Luke Weaver started the season, he actually has more earned runs than Michael Walker. 
And I don't know about you guys, but it definitely doesn't feel that way at times. What what do you think, Larry, about that? You mean that he's given up more earned runs? Correct. Luke Weaver has given up 18 earned runs, and Michael Waka has only given up 13, and they're literally an, an inning apart in terms of how many innings they've pitched. Right. That's why I was referring to their to the FIP because I think I think you know Weaver may be having a little bit of bad luck. Now I think where Weaver has gotten off track a little bit is that in the past he hasn't walked as many batters, and I think. I think he's gotten in trouble with his walk so far this year. Um, so the earned runs don't bother me quite as much. Uh, locating does. Um, but as we've talked about in the past with Weaver, um, you know, he always seems to have blips when he gets to the next level, and then he seems to figure them out. Seems to be a very smart, self-correcting dude. So um, he's still throwing, you know, mid-90s. Um, He's still throwing good stuff. I do expect him to come around. The thing about Michael is, going back to what Michael said, is the guy has two walks, two walks in 33 innings. It's unbelievable. He's a strike-throwing machine, and that has been his success flat out. Because you look at some of the other Cardinal pitchers, some of them haven't given up as many hits per inning, but and Michaelis gives up about one hit an inning. But my goodness, he's not leaving anything out there beyond the plate, and that's been fantastic for him. Yeah, and I think that is something that I was going to bring up here next, but I think where my Michaelis does have a little bit of trouble, and I'm going to throw this to Trevor, which is what I was going to say, it is the home run ball. If Miles Michaelis is going to do – you know, be a better pitcher, he's got to stop giving up home runs, and he's already given up five. Um, Trevor, how do you, you know, what would you do different for Miles Michaelis? Because the the MO right now is pitch up, and his off-speed stuff can kind of lay flat. What what would you say needs to happen for Michaelis to, to cut down on those home runs? Well, you know, simple answer, not give up home runs. But uh, like you said, he's working <laughs> up in the zone. Um, he's working up in the zone. That's That can uh, obviously leave a pitcher very susceptible to, uh, you know, to giving up that, that hard contact. And uh, that's something that he's got to look out for. And what I'm uh, sorry, I'm pulling up his numbers right now for, uh, for his pitch usage. And it looks like he's not – relying as much on uh, his fastball as as, uh, as he might want to if he can leave that one lower in the zone. He's throwing it less than 50% mm-hmm. of the time, according to fan graphs. Um, and I think that that means he's throwing a slider and, and his curveball, both at a clip of about 20% just over. So I think he's just leaving those um, those bigger breakers that are more susceptible to that hard contact in the wrong places. And if that's going to keep happening, he's going to keep giving up the home runs. But why change anything if he's having the success that he is? So it's kind of twofold there. Um, yeah. And as I say all this, and, he's given uh, his Fangraphs clip is 34% hard contact. So. Yeah, and I think that's and I think that's a good point to bring up about him using the curveball and slider. You know, both roughly at 20 to 24%. Uh, that's quite a bit considering he only uses his his forcing fastball 
30% of the time, essentially. Um, so if he's, and it's like you say, Trevor, you know, if he's going to continue to use his off-speed pitches, he has to locate better, especially if, you know, his slider does not move horizontally. Because if it just sits there, that's what gets him in trouble. So, guys, we're going to take our first break. You're listening to the official Redbird Rants podcast, Episode 9, Season 2. We will be right back. Okay, welcome back to Episode 9 of the official Redbird Rants podcast, Season 2. I'm Tito, here with Larry, Dr. Miles, and Trevor. We just got done talking about the St. Louis Cardinals rotation, what we learned from the first month, and then some change of the season. Let's go ahead and switch to another topic regarding the first couple months, and let's talk about the team's MVP through the first month of the season. And, and Dr. Miles, I'm going to start with you. Let's hear it. Who's your MVP so far? You know, I, I took that pregnant pause there because it's, it's, it's tough. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go with Mike Schilt. No, I'm, I'm going to go <laughs> with Jose, with Jose Okendo for sure. Um, and no joke, you guys. I, I think um, you know having Jose back is a huge, huge deal. And listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that so firmly, tongue in cheek, because I really do believe that it's important to have him back. In terms of the players, you know what? I gotta say, it's Tommy Sam, right? Uh, I mean, Sam has just come out with this, this fire and this passion uh, to, to, to show the Cardinals wrong that they should have extended him or to give them the impetus to do an extension after this season and it be profitable season. All of that to say, even in saying fan, but I feel like I'm shortchanging my my favorite Cardinal of, of today in Jose Martinez, who, listen, the guy's not that great defensively. We all know that. But he's become a, a threat at the plate. Um, so I don't know. I feel very comfortable giving my vote to Jose Okendo. Okay, Larry, who's your first month MVP? I got to go with Carlos Martinez. I mean, I mean, both on paper and on um, I mean, the guy has is sitting after we, like we said, with a really poor outing his first time out. He's now after seven starts, he's sitting there with a 140 ERA. Um, he struck out uh, a batter an inning. Um, he, um, he has a ridiculous uh, ERA plus. He um, he's just looked in command um, like the like the Carlos of the best time. Um, and in terms of the value to the team, and I just uh, you know I was focused on this because I just finished writing an article today about wins above replacement. The guy has almost a two WAR already after a month. That's sick for a starting pitcher. Um, you know, now I don't think he'll replicate that every um, every uh, month because if he did, he'd be better than Clayton Kershaw. But he um, he has been dominant. He has been self-assured. He has been the guy when we need the guy. And uh, yeah, I think Tommy Pham's been great. But he's done basically the same thing that he did last year and proved it's not a fluke. But for a guy who's upped his game and just said. 
you know, I'm I'm going to carry the team on my shoulders when I need to. Um, it's the Carlos we've hoped that we would see, and I'm very excited about it. And, and to further your point, listen, listen to these numbers. In, since his first start, Martinez has pitched 40.2 innings, given up 24 hits, allowed three earned runs for a .66 ERA, He's walked 13 and struck out 40 and only given up a single home run, and that was to mm-hmm. Eric, uh, Eric Thames against, uh, you know, against the Brewers uh, not too long ago. Opponents are batting 173 off of him in those starts since the first one. OBP, 277, slugging, 223. I mean, there's, there's got to be no question, though, that he is the MVP, right, Trevor, or are you going with somebody different? Uh, hey, I, hey, can I? Just, I think I'm gonna. Can I, can I just sure. quickly here, Trevor? I just sure, want to say sure. this. Uh, I, I'm a little frightened by the fact that Tito and Larry are agreeing on so many points. And Trevor, I, I'm frightened that you and I have been duped into this podcast tonight, where we're witnessing <laughs> a, a parent trap of sorts. So I'm sorry to hijack what you had to say. Uh, also, by the way, I do agree with you guys on, on Carlos Martinez. Um, well, to jump in, Dr. Miles, you took my move earlier of picking a non-player at first because my MVP is going to be the Cincinnati Reds. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the Cardinals are 7-0 and against them. That's almost half of their wins to this point. So they're doing something great for the Cardinals so far this year and every other team they've played, obviously. But uh, as far as on-field play, I really want to get – I think the MVP has to go to uh, Jose Martinez on the offensive side yeah. just because the last – time I did a podcast we were talking about he's good he's a bench player where is he going to play is there room for him and he's at this point he's bullied his way in there's room for him and he's playing very well so I think just because of that he, he's in my mind the MVP just based off the fact that where is he going to play well we're going to for he's going to force his way into that lineup yeah and I think there is certainly an argument for Jose Martinez as well. I mean, think about the games um, early on in the beginning of April. Where would this team be without, you know, Jose Martinez's bat? You know, sure, he's batting 286 right now, and he's, you know, you know, had, you know, no hits in a couple of, of those games. But there's no question that his bat early on in the season was carrying this team. And – that is something to be said. And, and and not only that, he was doing it by himself. Even though Tommy Pham is now hitting 330, um, Jose Martinez was driving in runs, producing at the plate. You know, you could say the same thing about Yadier Molina. He was doing the exact same thing as Jose Martinez, not, at a, not as high as an average. But, Mar, you know, Molina, you know, had all those home runs, producing at the plate, uh, you know, that's there's got to be something to be said. I think a dark horse for some people also might be Bud Norris, um, where we thought there was going to be some stability with Luke Gregerson and Greg Holland. In comes Bud Norris, who even, and I'm including myself on this, who was not highly thought of when the Cardinals signed him. He comes in and shuts the door down for five saves in the first, you know, month and change, he could also be the team's MVP 
you know, for March and April, right, Larry? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, the it's funny, you know, as we batch every day about, you know, the frustrations with the team, you know, between the four of us, we've identified a half dozen players that we thought could, you know, keep comprised sure. the the MVP of the month, and that, you know, that's speaking pretty pretty well of the um, the de- the depth of the team and the ability of different players to step up at different times, especially as, you know, others wane. Like you, like you said, Molina and Jose Martinez were especially strong at the beginning, you know, and then, um, you know, uh, Jerko has been strong when he's been healthy. Um, and then, as, you know, as they've faded, Tommy Sam picked it up, and, and then we talked about both the, the starter Martinez and the closer North. So, there's a lot to like about this team, um, and you know, I think once somebody said, and I apologize, I'm not remembering. I think it was you, Dr. Miles, that you know, when everybody's hitting on all cylinders, watch out. You know, but maybe one of the strengths of this team is that they can do pretty well even when they're not hitting on all cylinders, and you know, that's a pr- pretty important trait for a major league team because it's rare that everybody's going to be hitting on all cylinders at the same time. Um, so even with these fade-ins and fade-outs, you know, we're still, you know, playing at a, at a pretty good clip and at the top of the, top of the division. And well said. And I, and I think, you know, the, the, the most important thing you probably said there is, is that the team seems to – find ways to win when they're not hitting on all cylinders. And you can see that in the extra inning wins that they've had this year, especially, you know, against the White Sox here. And uh, um, as we speak now, Albert Pujols is coming up to bat, going for his 3,000th hit. So we're going to continue our conversation, but if I interject, um, it's because history has happened. But let's continue the conversation surrounding Bud Norris, and I found something very interesting happened over the last couple of days, and that was John Mozeliak came out and said, Bud Norris is the closer. Greg Holland's not to be used in the ninth inning. Dr. Miles, if Bud Norris is officially the closer, should it be a permanent thing for the rest of the season, or should Greg Holland get a chance? I think, look, you're paying Greg Holland, what, $14 million, 14 and change for the one season. Uh, he's got to get a chance at some point. That's what you're paying for. Uh, let me also just take a moment to, to self-gloat that of all of us, I was the one who said, even before the Cardinals signed Bud Norris, that Bud Norris would have been a real interesting name for the Cardinals to go get. And I remember there were some, some very faithful, faithful friends of mine in the Redbird Ranch group who thought that I was insane. And I just had a premonition that, what we, that we could see something great. Did I think it was going to be closer stuff? No, although in the piece that I did talk about signing him, I did suggest the fact that perhaps he could help fill in at the back of a bullpen. So... In terms of should he stay there, he should absolutely stay there until somebody else is ready and can do it better. And at this point, that's 
that's not looking like an issue. I almost paused, I paused there for a minute because Albert had a good swing on that last pitch. And, uh, <laughs> man, that, that was going to be a home run for 3,000. Just two and two now. I mean, that, that wasn't Albert Kuhl's home run swing if I've ever seen one. Uh, so I am distracted, as you are, because I made sure that I was, had this game turned on for this very reason. Uh, I know, me so too. I think... I think you've got to let you've got to let Holland close when he's ready. You've got to let Gregerson close him when he's ready. Uh, now Gregerson less so than than Holland because I you know we're not paying Gregerson the exorbitant amount that we're paying Holland to be a closer. Now that said, you know what the best managers ride the hot hand and. Maybe Holland's role for a while is to be the protection for North. You know, once North starts to fall and, and, and comes out to close and can't pull it together, then you bring in Holland. And we've seen that in reverse right now. When they've brought Holland out and he's faltered a little, they bring out North to slam the door shut. And that's a phenomenal problem to have. A phenomenal problem to have. So, to answer your question, uh, you got you got to let Holland close when he, when he's ready. Fair enough, Trevor. What what do you think now that Bud Norris was named quote unquote the closer? You know, should it stick? Should he just close and you know let Greg Holland do what he needs to do, or should Greg Holland get his chance? Uh, Greg Holland's going to get oh, a chance at that's some point. Crap. I'm sorry. <laughs> Our pool got hit. <laughs> that could so also, sorry. you know, I haven't finished my thought yet. You could probably say that after my thought as well. So I guess it's fitting. But um, no, Greg Holland will get his chance eventually. Like It's like Dr. Miles said, they're paying him too much money not to. Um, so I I would, if I were in charge of the bullpen, I'd, I mean, I instead of trying to put him in this situation with Bud Norris as, as the backup, I'd let him pitch out of it in some lower leverage situations for at least a little bit. Um, Cause Bud Norris, I'm sorry, is not going to continue as his closer stuff. He's got enough. Um, he's got enough innings before this year to show what he really is. And right now he's pitching like 12 strikeouts per nine. And usually he's seven or eight strikeouts per nine and his walks are, are lower than they usually are. So there's just, something's going to give and, and Norris is not going to have the hot hand anymore. And that's when you give it to Gregerson or uh, hopefully Holland who's ready. So eventually Holland will get a chance again. I'm sure Gregerson will get a shot too. If, if Holland's not ready and Norris is starting to fade out. Fair enough. And I will have some counterpoints, I promise, but I just want to get to everybody and Larry, it's your turn now. Holland or Norris? If Norris is the closer now, should he be the permanent closer from here on out? Nah, I don't think so. I mean, I think I think we could still see Bud Norris revert to being Bud Norris, and and you know if that's the case, you know then he can still be an effective part of the bullpen, but not necessarily the closer. And you know a lot of people were, you know, were uh, concerned about Greg Holland because. You know, he had a blip last year. He had a terrible, terrible uh, stretch in August, but actually the rest of the year was, was pretty darn good. So, you know, I, I blame I blame the late signing. 
you know, I blame him being out of sorts as a result of that. Um, you know, he still has had, you know, shoot, he still had six or seven, you know, very good performances. So we know that he's capable. Um, and, yeah, I think, I think it's more likely than not that he will return to the closer role at some point in this season. Having said that, you know, having an arsenal of Gregerson and Holland and Leone and Hicks and Norris is a really, really good problem to have. And while I certainly will acknowledge that they have struggled finding the rhythm early on, I think part of that is Mike Matheny. I think part of that is the late signing of Holland. I think part of that is figuring out, you know, how to use Hicks if he's going to stay in the major leagues. Um, you know, I think there are a combination of factors. But I think you'll see over the next month a settling out. And I do think it's, it's like I said, most more likely than not that at some point Greg Holland will resume the mantle of the closer for the team. Yeah, and I'm going to throw some counterpoints out here, guys, and um, I'm going to slightly disagree with you guys. I'm of the mindset of this at this point that Bud Norris should just close, mainly because he has been the hot hand, and he's showing that he can do it. And he's shown that he can come into pressure situations and get out of them. And I understand that Holland has not, you know, is doesn't look ready, but that is not that is not our problem. That's Greg Holland's problem, and I mean theoretically, it's not our problem. I should say because it is if he doesn't perform right. But what I mean is is that it's not Bud Norris's fault that Greg Holland can't pitch right now. It's not Bud Norris's fault that Greg Holland can't close a game with the three-run lead, as he blew the other day. You know, sure, we can blame the Cardinals. I do. I, I absolutely do blame John Mosellock and co. for not signing Greg Holland and making sure he was actually ready to pitch before signing him. But I'm of the mindset that Bud Norris needs to, needs to be closing. He can do this. And I, I would not have said that at the beginning of the year because I did not believe in that. But he's showing it. Now, I'm not saying that Greg Holland doesn't deserve to be on the team and, and isn't, you know, going to be playing. And will I, and do I actually believe Bud Norris is going to be the closer at some point throughout the year, all the year? No. I completely understand the $14 million and that's, that's the way money goes. But if I'm serious about winning, I'm keeping, I'm keeping Bud Norris – as the closer, as long as I can, for as many games as I can. Um, Dr. Miles, some reaction from that? Listen, I'm never going to disagree with writing the hot hand, ever. Uh, one, one of the things that, that I, I haven't thought about this until I, I listened to all of you talking about Fred Norris and writing the hot hand and so on and so on. What strikes me is, is as an anomaly this year, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong. You know, I, I'm never afraid of you guys correcting me. I actually like it. I don't remember in previous seasons hearing Mosaic step in to such a degree to declare someone in a role 
like he has done this season. And I say that is unique because we're seeing such a difference in the success rate of Mike Matheny. Now, one could argue and say Mike Matheny has matured over the years. Yet, we have a former GM, now vice president of baseball operations or president of baseball, I don't remember what his title is, something to justify the paycheck he takes home that I will never see in my lifetime. And But we're seeing him step in and make statements like, Bud Norris is our closer. Greg Holland will not be put in closing situations. And that's not a major difference from what other GMs do necessarily. But typically, I think you could easily argue that that is the sort of thing that comes from the manager. It's not something that's just sort of typed out there, and eh, not in a forcing way, but in a decision-making way. Uh, so, you know, to your point, Tito, I say ride the hot hand as long as you can. But I also know from some of the interviews we've done in Extra Innings, you know, I'm reminded that baseball is a business. And if you're going to invest the money that you've invested, you want the product to perform to the degree of the money you invested. Fair enough. Uh, uh, Larry, any reaction to, to what I had to say about using Bud Norris as the closer or to what Dr. Miles had, had just got done saying? No, I'm good. Awesome. Uh, Trevor, anything from you? Yeah. Um, I. To your point, the closer position in baseball is just so – fickle I think is the word I'm going to use because it's so rare that you know a player gets that job or that role because the guy in front of them retired it's like you know they flash in and out so quickly it seems like and if this were different mm-hmm. circumstances a different part of the year I would probably tell you that Bud Norris is, is in the closer position for the long haul I mean as of right now yeah ride the hot hand but you're talking about a, a guy who uh, is a three-time all-star with 186 saves versus Bud Norris with 25 saves in his career. So, and that includes six this year. So you're looking at somebody who was signed late and has the track record of being a good closer versus somebody who's just the hot hand right now. And I think eventually um, the, you know, the, the history will play out the way that it does. And Greg Holland's just going to end up overtaking that, that spot again. Yeah. And that's a fair point too. And, it, and it's funny. And it's funny to think about both of these players because Last year, they both had similar second halves to the season where they kind of blew up for a little bit, <laughs> and but they were good in the first half of the season. And to, to have them both on the same team this year is actually kind of funny. I, I think what's driving this is obviously just the money aspect. But if you're going on pure performance, there's no question that Bud Norris should be closing for the Cardinals for, you know, for the foreseeable future. I, I just wonder, though, how many more chances will Greg Holland get when he gets those opportunities before the Cardinals indefinitely say, you know what, it just seems like you don't have it. What do you think, Dr. Miles? Oh, man. I don't know that they're ever going to say – Enough's enough, we're cutting you, and we'll just pay the rest of it. I, I just don't see that. But I, what I think they would say is, we're worried about you closing, 
So what we're going to do instead is we're going to no, no, no. I, and and don't, get, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying that they're going to cut him. I'm just saying that they won't use him as the closer. They will just let him be a, a guy kind of like how um, the Royals had it with Herrera, Davis, and Greg Holland back in 2014. Yeah, and just I use him as that. a guy in, in those in between leading up to the ninth inning. I can see that happening. Yeah, without without any qualms. Uh, I think that they're hoping that's not the way they have to go. I mean, clearly, but if that's the way it goes, I think the team would would come to terms with that. Um, I don't think that's a terrible thing necessarily. Now that said, I don't disagree with what Trevor said either. And maybe that's what happens for a while, and then he becomes the closer for a while, and then maybe he's not for a while. And I don't know. Uh, but um, I, I don't see that they – listen, this organization, this team, they are so smart outside of the manager. We can exclude him from that statement. But they are so smart about getting value, having a return on investment. And they have invested a large sum of money. And they will get a return on that investment. Sure. And, and I completely agree with that. Uh, Larry, anything from what I had to say just a little bit ago about seeing, you know, how many, you know, opportunities Holland gets before the Cardinals say, you know what, we'll just use you in a different capacity? I, you know, I think there's going to be opportunities where um, where we have back-to-back days um, for save needs. And, you know, it's it's not entirely clear, you know, where which way the team is going to go in that regard. You know, are they going to push Norris to do the back-to-back days or not? You know, you can anoint someone as the closer and still say we still need a secondary or a tertiary guy you know, for when the going gets rough and we don't have days off. And keep in mind, you know, the Cardinals have had plenty plenty of days off early on in this season. So so we haven't really seen the grind yet. Um, and, you know, so so even if Norris is doing well, you know, does Holland get the, the second day or the third day save or does, you know, does that go to Hicks or does that go to, you know, Gregerson, we, we don't really know how that's going to play out. So we'll start to get some context clues along the way. Um, you know, um, Todd hasn't hit a rough patch yet. So, you know, how long a rope does he have? Um, you know, does he have a week's worth of rope? Does he have four weeks' worth of rope? We don't really know. There's, and the team may not know. This may be something where, you know, they're they're right now they're anointing him because, they want to, you know, quell any uncertainty, but this isn't something that they necessarily, you know, envisioned, you know, uh, even two and a half months ago. So I think they're learning just as we're learning. Sure, and I, and I think that point that you just said there, that the Cardinals are kind of in the same boat as all of us with just seeing how things play out with Greg Holland, Um because there is no other option at this point. Right. So I think that's a great point. And and we are going to move into our last topic here for the night, and that is a little bit of a Cards-Cubs preview. And we're just simply going to talk about, you know, what to expect or what are we expecting. And, and we'll start with you, Trevor. 
I, I know from a brewer's perspective, uh, the, the probably the, the thing that you would like the most would be to beat, you know, just have each other, each team beat each other up. Uh, but what are you expecting out of this series starting tomorrow? Uh, honestly, pitching the, um, the Brewers are fresh off of a series with the, with the Cubs uh, and their, their, their pitching was just shutting down on point. I mean, obviously it's a good rotation with Lester Hendricks, Darvish, uh, Quintana and Chatwood. So I really think that the starting rotations and the pitching matchups are going to be a thing to watch. Um, I don't know. Both teams have good bats, both of, you know, and if they're playing, both teams can score a lot of runs. So it's really going to come down to who can pitch better, who can get their uh, starters deeper into the games, I think. Yeah. And for those still listening or listening right now, the, Starters going into this weekend will be Miles Michaelis first, Jose Quintana tomorrow night. Saturday will be Luke Weaver versus Tyler Chatwood. And Sunday, tentatively, is a matchup between Michael Waka and John Lester on Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, and again, this is in St. Louis. Larry, what are you expecting from this from this series? Well, I think from the Cubs' perspective, one of the big questions is, you know, is is Anthony Rizzo going to stay down or is he going to get up, right? I mean, boy, he surely has struggled amazingly at the beginning of this season. Um, You know, 82 bats in, he still has an OPS of 549. Um, You know, that's nothing that we expect of Anthony Rizzo. Meanwhile, you know, Kyle Schwarber, you know, has, has done really well this year. Chris Bryant has been no surprise. Javi Baez has done really well this year. But they got to get Rizzo going for that offense to be everything it's capable of. So far, um, you know, in terms of total runs, the Cubs and Cardinals uh, haven't been that far off each other, right? Um, so, so, I think, so I think Rizzo is a big question. And for us, you know, it's, you know, is is Matini gonna, you know, let the hot hand that Jerko get into the game and contribute, or is he gonna stick with, you know, Matt Carpenter now that Matt had a home run? I figure that in Matini's mind probably buys Carpenter another 50 starts. Um, you know, so I know I'm being semi facetious, but that is the way that Matini tends to play favorites especially when it comes to Carpenter. Um, as far as the pitching, you know, um, the Cubs have had some challenges. Quintana has been up and down for sure. And, you know, Darvish just got rocked. So, yeah, I think, I think the Cubs, you know, have to prove that their, um, their pitching is as good as advertised. You know, sh- shockingly today, you know, um, right behind Houston, the next three best pitching teams in the major leagues by ERA are Arizona, the Brewers, and the Cardinals. Um, you know, as Trevor says, no way would the Brewers have expected that, at least from a starting pitching perspective. Certainly their, their bullpen is, is really good. Um, you know, but the Cubs have to show that they're as good as everybody thought they were going to be from a pitching perspective. So Cubs pitching, Rizzo hitting, uh, getting a couple of the Cardinal hitters who haven't been doing well going and 
little dead jerk I get to play. Yeah, I I think that's um, those are great points and uh, and one thing I was going to mention when when Trevor was saying was talking about the Cubs rotation, it it seems like the only person in the Cubs rotation that can't do any good is you Darvish at this point. Um, and you know you see the comparisons all around. You know Miles Michaelis's numbers versus Darvish's, uh, 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 and that's something to keep an eye out on for the rest of the season. Doctor Miles, your turn. What what's your expectations of this series? You know what? I think you guys have really covered them all. I especially love Larry's point about Will Matt Carpenter play since he uh, you know got a home run and that bought him 50 more appearances. Back to back appearance. Let's add that in there. Um, and I also love what, what you said about the pitching, in particular the, the Cubs pitching. And we all said at the very beginning of the season that the Cubs, while on paper looked great, their pitching was suspect. And that was something that we all said, watch out for. Because if that's not working, it's not going to work. And I just love that the things that we really predicted early on are coming through. Listen, I don't put as much stock in this series, I think, as some people do, only because it is so early, number one. Number two, the Cubs, you know, they have an excuse, right? They, they have this ability to really say, well, we're not all here. Well, we're not this. Well, we're not that. If it were the two teams pushing all cylinders facing each other, then I, I would put a little more stuff into it. That stands. I think it's going to be a great series, don't get me wrong. You know, the rivalry is still alive and well. But I, I just think that there's more import for the Cardinals to look at in terms of small pieces than it is for a, a larger macro view. And those are all great points, guys. And I think that's going to do it for us tonight. You have listened to the official Redbird Brands podcast, episode nine, season two. Hopefully, Albert Pujols will get a chance to go for his 3,000 hit tonight. And hopefully, he does get that. Uh, I know Josh has something cooked up special for the uh, Redbird Brands Instagram page once that happens. I've seen the preview of it, and it looks really great. So hopefully we get a chance to debut that tonight. Uh, For Larry, Trevor, and Dr. Miles, I'm Tito. We'll see you next time on the official Redbird Rants podcast. Have a good night, and go Cards. Go Cards.